Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. I have a fabulous guest on the show today and have been wanting to have a conversation like this for such a long time. Truly, I I didn't even anticipate that the discussion would head in this direction, and I am so glad that it did. I am talking to Terry Hofford, who I will share more about in just a moment, but she is teaching us all about how to stop hating our bodies in pictures and why we do this in the first place. It is such a juicy, robust conversation. And I know you are going to have so many light bulb moments from it. Um, As I was talking to Terry, I just appreciated her own vulnerability so much and kept nodding my head thinking like, wow, I feel so seen and so heard in everything that she was saying, and I, I really feel like you uh, you will appreciate her authenticity and expertise as well, too. Let me tell you a bit about Terry before we jump in. Terry Hofford is a body image expert, photographer, coach, and author. Her mission is to help purpose-driven creatives embrace the beauty of diversity within themselves and the world so they can go forth and create meaningful change. She has been referred to as an emotional dominatrix and tough love Terry for her bold approach to personal personal responsibility and self-love. After empowering thousands of humans through her boudoir photography career, Terry experienced burnout at the height of her career and recognized the need for support for the givers and heart-centered creatives. In response to this need, Terry became certified in applied positive psychology and started sharing strength-based approaches with her community. From this, Terry created what she refers to as her empowerment empire, which includes beyond the body, mindset, and body image education, an education resource for photographers to help them diversify the types of bodies shown in the industry the Boudoir University, which is an education platform to uplift the voices of other marginalized creatives and create ethical standards for the genre of boudoir. Terry Hofford Photography, which is where she focuses on digging deep with each client and giving them a safe space to explore their body image. And finally, Body Image Bootcamp, which is trademark and the, this is workshops. This is retreat-based workshops and events that help women cope with their body image issues. Terry's main mission is to challenge and empower humans to shift their focus from constantly changing their bodies to changing their mindset so they can start changing the world. Terry is also the author Behind the best-selling book, The Geode Theory, Chipping Away at Body Image, and the mastermind behind the Suns Out, Tums Out billboard campaign in 2018. That is one hell of a bio. And 
it makes me love her even more. I can't wait for you to meet Terry. And please, if you resonate with this episode, share it with somebody in your life who you feel like might appreciate it as well too. As women, as people just coming together and and lifting each other up in our own lives and supporting each other's navigation in this world, this is a really important conversation. And so many times we we keep experiences like this to ourselves or use self-deprecation, which we'll talk about in this conversation to kind of get by. Um, And it's got to end. It's got to stop. We're here to make a shift and it starts with us. And Terry is going to talk all about that in our conversation. We also get into uh, social media strategies to feel more empowered in your mind and body. We also talk about the importance of self-regulation and self-awareness within our body image. And Terry shares her favorite tools for overcoming negative body image days. It's just a really robust conversation. So Go ahead, take a breath, get nice and cozy, or just shift your mindset to be with us and enjoy. We'll link everything in the show notes to keep it super easy to connect with her and all the things that we have going on in this community. Terry Hofford, it's so nice to meet you and be with you and see your face. Um, Thanks for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah, really excited about this conversation. Let's just dive in. I'd love to hear your body image story. And the first question that we ask everybody on the show is your first body awareness moment. So can you just paint the picture of what that looks like, that moment where you realized, shit, I'm in a body, this means something in the world that I'm living in. How did that shape your relationship with yourself, your body, food, anything? Just tell us your story. Yeah, for sure. So it's funny because I always ask this question to my body image boot camp like attendees. So it's like I have my story like always. Um, but for me, I was about four years old and I grew up on a farm. So like we'd always get together like with family, extended family and so on, which sounds like a dream now with COVID. But uh, and we'd always have family dinners and things like that with like lots of people. So I always enjoyed that because then I could perform for my family you know either reading poetry or whatever and when I was four I remember I was set on becoming a ballerina like this was the vision for me and so I stood in the middle of the room and I was like I'm gonna be a ballerina and my aunt looked at me and she said you can't you're too fat to be a ballerina and I was four years old and like it just sticks in my head because I was like what but that is when I started to realize like oh uh, I guess my body can stop me from doing the things that I actually want to do. Um, and so growing up, I was also the biggest kid in my class. Of course, our class was only like 12 kids because again, farm community. Um, but being the biggest person in your class and your family is especially when big is taught as bad is something that you take personally. And so um, people would tease me about it because they have to pick on someone. And so that just reaffirmed that moment 
of my aunt saying that thing because other people now are saying like, yeah, that big is bad. So not only is it going to stop me from being a ballerina, but also being big is just a bad thing to be in general. But I'm just a big person. Like I'm quite tall. I'm very muscular underneath the softness. Like, um, yeah. And I've just always been that way. And so growing up though, while my aunt was not the nicest woman in the world, she was very honest, we'll say that. Um, I had really good parents that didn't really care about bodies. Like uh, being on a farm, your size is of a, an asset because I always say like I could carry twice as much as my little sister and I was very good for doing chores and doing things like that. But for, so my family kind of taught us like your body is just your thing to do stuff. Mm. Like it's your vessel to do the things. And so my mom never dieted. She never attended Weight Watchers or Tops or things like that, whatever was happening at the time. Um, So luckily while I was being like punished for my body at school, I was able to come home and have a reprieve from that overnight so i would be able to to be with a family that like basically was just like yeah your body's doing stuff all the time and like them like filling me up with purpose and value and mission instead of like you are a body um i think that had a really big impact and i'm very grateful for that upbringing because i know it is not the norm for most people that grew up in the 80s with their mothers so Totally. What, what is the, um, what's the genetic makeup of your family? Did you feel like when you looked around your family, like, oh, I, my body is similar to my family's or did you feel like it was different than the family members that you were looking at? No, like our, our family makeup is mostly like German and Ukrainian and Polish. Um, so very like stocky European, like, uh, humans, but, uh, and, and the aunt that said that to me, she was probably one of the bigger ones in the family, but she probably had her own, well, obviously she did have her own beliefs about what bodies are capable totally. of. Um, but yeah, so looking at my dad's side of the family, I definitely was very much more like them, like very broad, very stocky, very farm forward, I would say. Farm uh, forward. Yeah. And then can we yeah, quote that? <laughs> exactly. I was perfect for plowing the field back in the 1800s, you know, kind of thing and carrying like 12 children. Um, but then on my mom's side of the family, it's like even her dad was quite tall um and just yeah not not as like broad as my dad's side of the family but yeah like i looked i looked around and could see my body resembled in my um like my family in some capacity yeah which is a big deal because there's that element of uh confirmation of oh i really do belong i really do fit in from a blood relations standpoint as well as the confirmation that your family is giving you verbally and just really instilling these beliefs that you're so much more than your body and also just hearing your story I'm like our bodies are so freaking cool I mean the fact that you have this lineage of where your family is from and also being on a farm and the the physical labor that that requires and all these things I mean to your point yeah farm forward (laughs) it's so funny but it's can you imagine not having a body that's really going to allow you to be able to navigate the earth in that way it's so cool 
Well, and it like once my my sister's 18 months apart from me and she's younger than me. So her body was a very different shape than mine. Like I'm very much a rectangle is how I would reference it. Like even when I lost weight, it didn't matter. I had no waist, like very much like this. And my sister is the opposite of that, where she has like the child rearing hips and which is good because she's the one that has the kids, but, uh, but very, very curvy, very much like a round bum and things like that and so she was always the people would always compare us and like terry was the cute one and Corey was the hot one like Mm -hmm. she got the compliments more to which were more geared towards her as a body and my compliments were always geared toward me as a person which i think actually made a huge difference because early on i had to have the self-awareness to like build up my person because that's what I was getting reinforcement on. And I was okay with that. So I was able to build up my character because despite my body, I was all these really cool things as a person, but my sister was getting all these compliments on how great her body looked. And so she grew up thinking that she was more of a body than she was a person. And so she didn't have an opportunity really to develop her character as well. I think because she was so busy focused on how her body looked as opposed to what it could do for her. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it's, you know, I, I talk about safety a lot and just things that keep us safe that are sometimes wonderful and sometimes really disordered. And it sounds like you both found your safe place in the world to navigate a really impressionable time, hers being her body and that form of currency and yeah. yours being your uh, personality, value. your values. Yeah. yeah. And being yeah. the funny fat friend, because that's the that's what you learn. You're like, well, I'll make fun of myself before everyone else does, because then it hurts less. I call it the eight mile defense. If you ever watched Eight Mile with Eminem, yeah. totally. uh, you know, at the end where he's like in the rap battle, and so he says all the insults about himself so that the other guy can't use it against him, and then he wins. Yeah. Uh, that's what I say. Like we learn to do is like, well, if I say this about myself, then you can't use it against me. Totally, um, you're like. Beating- yeah exactly but then what and while we're like ha 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 it's a joke no your brain is still like oh this is what we believe even Mm -hmm. if you're laughing about it this is what your brain believes and so that becomes your reality and your truth which obviously is not super great so (laughs) yeah so how did how did that impact your relationship with yourself and your body image going forward, especially with, it sounds like a lot of dissonance where you're navigating school and like the cultural aspect of bodies being fixated on. And at the same time, coming from this really amazing family, that's really instilling these awesome beliefs about not putting your body on a pedestal. So how did you how did you get to this place where, well, first of all, this self-deprecating humor, it sounds like, was impacting you and and really just how did that shape you moving forward? Yeah, I think a big part of it for me, they, remember I said about the cat wanting to come over? Oh, yeah. It's so Terry has a cat, everyone. And for everyone yeah. in this community, we're big cat people, so... We're just going to push things aside. But anyways, um, for me, it was very much, um, again, I I think I was more self-aware as a child than maybe 
a lot of people are. And I think a big part of that had to do with having um, like outlets, like being in nature, um, reading a lot to escape from what I was feeling and writing a lot. So I started journaling from the time, like I was in grade five, I think was my first diary. Um, But I was able to dump out what was happening in my head to look at it. So I had this self-awareness and really early on, Again, my mom was a huge influence in grade six. I would go home every day crying because people were teasing me, whatever. And she said, she sat me down and she's like, I knew in that moment, I couldn't tell you that like, oh, it's okay. You're beautiful. Like, that's not what you needed from me in that moment. She's like, what I had to help you to empower you was to tell you that you had a choice. And so that's her thing is like, you always have a choice. And so she's like, you could change to be what they want you to be, but chances are that they'll just find something else to tease you about. Cause that's what kids do. Or you can be yourself and you'll have, you might not have a lot of friends, but the friends that you do have will be ones that don't care about your body. Um, and that seemed like an easier route for me. And so to this day, like my best friend is still my best friend from grade six. Oh my six. gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. Shout out to your mom, by the way. What amazing, what what amazing advice. She was, yeah, like I now as an adult, I'm like, you don't even know. <laughs> yeah, but, but that allowed me to make that decision like early on in grade six or grade seven to say, am I going to waste my time trying to be somebody else for other people or how can I use this, all these feelings that, you know, those feelings you have when you're in like grade seven an age where everything's just like tumultuous and dramatic and so I started playing sports because I was like that I can get my rage out in volleyball and so instead of like turning it inward I turned it into something Mm. and I would focus on all the things I was capable of doing and so I just stayed busy for most of high school like junior high and high school I didn't have time to even hear what people were saying if they were saying anything at that point um but i was still having the influences now we didn't have the internet back in my day uh like we do now like there was no social media so that was a huge blessing um i think because i was able to escape media if i wanted to now I think it would be incredibly more difficult um to because you go home and it's still there yeah, you're totally. seeing it everywhere. It's everywhere. And so, but but because I had learned that self-deprecating humor, that became my I, I'm not a big fan of small talk. I'm not a big fan of like networking or like being in situations that make me uncomfortable. So that became my armor for those situations that you have to go into was let me make a joke about myself or call something to your attention about me that I'm insecure about, but make it like funny or like make it something so you'll like me. Um, And so that kind of became my armor for going to events or seeing people. And then eventually one day I was like, I wonder if this is having an effect on me. (laughs) And then I was like, oh yeah, just because you're laughing at it doesn't make it any less true in your mind. So yeah, what was that light bulb moment like for you? Were you in high school at that time? Was it after? Uh, oh, it was way later, way later. So I've kind of like after high school, I have a very, it seems like it was a very lot of things happened in a very short amount of time. So I went and I taught English in Korea. 
cool. like South Korea. Yeah. So I taught in Korea for two years, but while I was there, I actually lost like a hundred pounds wow. and got into bodybuilding and martial arts. And I was like kicking ass and it was awesome, but yeah, there's a whole bunch. Well, can, oh, pause. So yeah. that is a dramatic amount of weight to lose. Yeah. So how, how did that impact your happen. mindset, your relief, not even how did it happen, but as your body is changing, um, were you getting feedback or reinforcement in that culture, positive or negative? Like how was that change just impacting so, yourself? Yeah. So there was a lot of factors at play looking at it now. So number one was I was only 20, I want to, I think I was like 21 or 20 or 21 when I went to Korea. And so my prefrontal cortex still hadn't fully developed. So I have no critical thinking skills really uh, to deal, which is why I went to Korea in three days of knowing I had a job. Like I didn't oh my God. think about it. Like, I'm just going to go and it'll be great. But anyways, but, um, but because of that, up until that point, I, number one, had never had male attention, really. Like, the boys I liked rarely liked me back. They only liked me as a friend, da, 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 da. So once weight started coming off, even before weight started coming off, like, being there, being Caucasian, mm-hmm. like, I was a novelty for Asian men, essentially. And so I liked that because I had never experienced it before, even if it wasn't honest relationship feelings and then that so that fed into the ego and then uh i was lonely i was i was in a place i could barely speak the language i like had nobody really to hang out with um and i was lonely and when you're lonely you like to distract yourself so i got into martial arts which was great but that really sped up the weight loss that was happening because their food is just completely different like it's just different life over there that way and as a result of that i was i saw it as oh losing weight will help me be better at this task Mm. but then people started complimenting me not just and then facebook became a thing around that time and so people at home were also like holy shit like you're not the same person you were when you left like wow you're doing it like you're achieving the thing we all want and so being 21 you're like yeah i know and like super um egotistical about it but I actually hated my body more because it, I couldn't be small enough because up until that point, up until I like started losing weight by accident, like I didn't plan it. It just happened being there up until that point. I had just been like, this is my body. This is what she does. Like, and I do the things. And so when the weight started coming off, I was like, oh my God, maybe I am a thin person trapped inside a fat body. The thing they always told me was true. And so then I, once I had a taste of it, I wanted more and more and more to the point that I actually had gotten my body down to about 157 pounds, which for my frame is very not great. Like I look like a bobblehead when I look at photos. It's quite terrifying. Um, and definitely disordered eating, definitely orthorexia, where I was working out six hours a day. It became my job. Six hours. Um, oh my goodness. 
and eating literally the same thing every single it was very disordered to the point also that I started taking diet pills and then what happened was I would get like heart palpitations and my eyelids were fluttering in the night and I was 21 like this shit shouldn't be happening so I was my this is again where that self-awareness piece I'm so glad that I have it because it's like this little voice in my head that's like what the fuck are you doing like, this is not okay. No matter how many people on the bodybuilding forums are like, no, that's just part of it. It's, you have to go through this to get the goals you want. Like literally people were cheering me on because I had lost my period because I was on diet pills and losing weight so much. And they were like, no, that's just what happens. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, at least I had the self-awareness to take, to be like, whoa, so what Who was are that, you? Yeah. What was that moment like for you where you realized something had to change? It wasn't working for you anymore. Well, it was just a little bit like, uh, this doesn't feel right. I'm very big on like when things don't align, like I can feel it in my whole body and it makes me more uncomfortable than good. So I, I didn't stop. Like I was still very obsessed weighing myself and stuff like that, but I stopped taking the diet pills. Cause I was like, that's too far. Mm, not doing that. But then shortly after that, I had to come back to Canada or I just felt like, I was like, Oh, I think it's time to go back home. I, I couldn't explain why just again, a feeling. Mm-hmm. So I moved back to Canada and about three months after I got home uh, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer Mm. and so if you don't know what pancreatic cancer does it starves people to death and so over the course of three months I watched my dad essentially starve to death and it was that was a wake-up call because here I was purposefully starving myself to look a certain way and all he wanted to do was eat something anything and have it stay in his body and he couldn't even do that and so I was like this is fucked and that kind of was like a huge wake-up call like no this is not okay what you're doing I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. And I also think it's, it's, I mean, the parallel of those two events, that is wild. The synchronicity there. Pretty crazy. Yeah. So that's why I'm always like, I think things happen for a reason or whatever. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that too. So what's, what's the next chapter? What did you realize from there? And Um, Well, interestingly enough, I went on to work for a weight loss company. (laughs) Of course. Okay, so so this is not uncommon, though. Like, I knew, I knew what I had been doing, and like. I had taken it too far and that was kind of the wake up call, but still I was like, well, I I understood the science of macros and da, 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 da. And I was like, and it's achieving things. And I'm a big achiever. And I'm like, I want to help empower people. So this like company had moved in to the city and they're like, we're looking for somebody that would be good. And I'm like, Oh, number one, they use the same science that I used essentially like balancing macros and all that good stuff. And you get to coach people. Like this sounds amazing. Like I'd be a great fit for this. Um, and so working for that company also did a number on my self-esteem because they hired me. They said at that point, they were like, we hired you because you don't look like, like a typical weight loss coach because I wasn't thin thin if that makes sense I was still for my frame I was still quite small but I was still like 180 pounds at that point or close to 200 and so I thought I was like yay they love 
like me as I am. No, they wanted to hire me at the weight I was with the hopes that on their program, people could watch me lose more weight. And I was like, after two years, I was like, no. And what did it for me was going to a manager's meeting and hearing them say, we rely on 80% of the clients to fail for our profit margin. Yeah. And so I was like, bye. Like this is like that kind of like lifted the veil on diet culture for me for the first time, like, like fully. So I could see like, like the wizard of Oz kind of thing where you're like, Oh, like this is all bullshit. Like all of it is just bullshit. And, um, and then I left that job to, I was just like, I don't care what job I have next. It just can't be this. I'm like, so I went and worked in insurance and stuff like that for a while. (laughs) So when you left that job, did, did you finally feel like you had the permission to just be in your body? Did you have to do a lot of soul searching around that? And Yeah. So I think I went the other way then because I was like, they had told me what I couldn't eat for two years and what I had to do for two years. And then I was like, fuck all you. (laughs) And I was like, so I'm going to do the opposite and I'm not going to work up my body and I'm not going to, I'm going to eat whatever I want, which is also not a great method of self-care. But because I had, it's just a typical binge and purge cycle, right? I had restricted myself for so long that my body was like, just give me whatever you can get. And so I did, and I didn't care. Um, and, and, and not just in, in like food, but also in relationships, mm-hmm. uh, and, and spending, like it just turned into this, like uh, this need to fill this emptiness. The other thing that happened was after my dad's passing, I never dealt with that. Mm-hmm. So there's like, all, I'm very good at like pushing things down mm-hmm. Um, and then it wasn't until I read The Alchemist, which is a great book if great people book. haven't read it, but it has to come to you at the right time. That's the thing. You're like you can't just go out and buy it. Somebody's got to give it to you or tell you about it. So maybe you listen to this. We'll go get it. But um, but reading that book, basically, it's like, no, you're supposed to like go follow your own path. Da, 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 da. And I had been trying to fit into the mold of what everyone wanted. Like I had a house, I had a partner who wanted to have kids and I early on did not want to have kids, but he was like, you'll change your mind as most people do say that. And I'm like, no, I will not. But, but I was doing all the things adults should do. And I hated everything. And so it was easier for me to hate my body Then it was to take stock of the rest of my life that I hated. But then after reading The Alchemist, it's like, you're not fulfilling your purpose, essentially. So go do that thing. And so I broke up with a boy. I sold my house. I moved to the city where I now live with my husband. And, And then about one year of still being in insurance, I used them to transfer me. So I didn't have to pay for that, which is great. Uh, I quit and pursued photography. So, (laughs) Oh my God. So it sounds like you're really starting to come into your own at this point. And why photography? So I had always done photography, like even on the farm, but being on a farm, they're like, that's not a job. That's a great hobby. So they're like, go to school, be a teacher. I was like, okay, fine. Um, Again, (laughs) listening to everyone else except for myself. Oh, 
when I was have to go through it. Well, that's the thing, right? You have to like build up all the layers and then chip away at what you don't want. I think that's just <laughs> life. Yeah, um, you. It's like you put all the layers on and then you peel all the layers back. As you're like, this one doesn't feel good anymore. <laughs> I don't want it now. Thank you. Totally. Um, it's like Joey from Friends when he puts on <laughs> all the chapstick. <laughs> That's essentially, and you just feel restricted under all of it because you're like, this isn't mine. This isn't my clothes. Yes. Yeah, it's a great analogy. (laughs) And so, uh, what what was I saying? Photography. Oh, about photography. But when I was in Korea, actually, I I had gotten back into photography while I was there because I was lonely and I was looking for something to do. And I went and bought my first big camera while I was there. And I started taking self-portraits, actually. I wanted to get... I'd lost all that weight, wanted to get into plus size modeling. Like that should tell you how fucked up the fashion industry is. Like, oh, now you can plus size model that you're a hundred pounds less. Like what? That's dumb. But that's what it was back then. Thankfully, it's come a long way since then. There's still a lot to do, but um but i had gotten back into photography as a as that method and i was actually very good at it like naturally good at it and then i decided when i moved back to canada i was like i could do this for a job you know naturally didn't take a business class but let's do it and so i was always doing it part-time even while i worked at the weight loss while i worked for insurance i was always doing it on the weekends doing occasional weddings um and then i was like no like i really want to do this like really well but um but i kept doing weddings because everyone said that's what you should do that's how you make all the money And then it wasn't until about 2014 that I was attending uh, another workshop and I met somebody that was doing boudoir photography, which at that time, I didn't know what the hell that was. I was like, that's not a thing that people can do. And, and I was doing family photos. And so she's like, I'll swap you, you photograph my family and I'll do a boudoir session for you. So I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. And so we did do that. Um, But then uh, I got my photos back and they're beautiful, but all I got back were like headshots. And I was like, I mean, yeah, my face is beautiful, of course. But I was like, but also I've got like a 34 inch inseam. I've got nice legs and like my tom. And that's when I started to look at the photography industry just as a whole. And nobody was photographing fat bodies. Like nobody was photographing any, like any bodies. And if they were, they weren't showing them. And so that kind of made me mad. So I was like, let's fix that. That's so interesting because I I love boudoir boudoir photography because it's a celebration of the body and to mm. get back just a headshot that's like a well, huge but, pop on the face. But back in 2014, nobody was photographing fat bodies or bodies that are even up. Most most boudoir photography you would have seen would have featured it people that were like a size two to a size six. Anything above that would rarely be shown. And if it was shown, it was just like in the back pages, like like the plus size department in a fa- in a store. <laughs> it's like hidden at the very end because they don't get as many likes at that time for sure. And and then, uh, and I'm very big at like spotting trends. So I could see where the body positivity movement was going. Mm-hmm. So I was like, somebody's got to do this and fill this need. Like bodies like mine and other bodies need to be seen too. Like everybody should be able to have photos. And so, yeah, that's why, that's what got me into that. So that was the moment where you realized, okay, I'm pivoting my target market in terms of how I'm photographing and you switch to boudoir. 
Yeah, stop. I to, I built a whole new website. Stop advertising weddings. This is the thing. I'm very like intuitively driven. If you can't tell by now, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna go over here now. Um, and and I actually what happened was I had done a project before I decided to make that transition. But I did a project to show to show myself, but also people because the internet was a thing at that point. Um, that there wasn't one body like we keep like people are like I need to have boobs like this I need to have a bum like that I need to have a waist like this and it's like there isn't one person that actually has all those things that we keep trying to have and so I wanted to show that so I photo I put a thing on Facebook I was like hey like I'll take your photo you'll it's like a 10 minute photo shoot you can wear as much or as little as you want there's no photoshop and just like we'll just get it done. And I thought I'd get like 20 people, but I actually ended up with 75 women. What? Yeah. Between two provinces. So I have this huge poster in my studio. It's not here, unfortunately, but, um, with all these beautiful bodies, just like existing. And oh my God, I need yeah. to see this. Yeah. It's beautiful. Uh, it's probably on my website somewhere, Okay, cool. but, um, or on my Instagram, maybe too. I should repost it, but, um, but what came out of that wasn't even the photos. The amount of responses I got from people before they had even seen their photos was, you don't know how much confidence I have just from showing up. Wow. You don't know how much of a difference is made. I came from a family that I wasn't even allowed to be in the hallway in my underwear. Um, like, And it went beyond body image to sexual liberation, to just existing, to um, celebrating their queerness, like whatever it was. And I had no intention of any of that. I was just like, I just want to photograph bodies. Um, and so I was like, well, shit, if I can do that in five minutes what can I do if I have a whole day with these people and then that that was the thing that I was like this is where I'm meant to be so where where was that what were you kind of gauging from there but how did your business so that was to go in towards like intimate photography or boudoir photography at that point and then for myself uh that was when I also started to realize I had stopped once I got into that I remember here in the room one day and I was like when did I stop seeing myself as a body mm. like I literally that was a thought that literally popped into my head which is like this is my brain sometimes she just talks to me but um but that was a thought that I had and I was like oh I don't even know because I'd been so busy serving people that I didn't it wasn't about me anymore and and now it's kind of interesting because now I use my body I always say this is my form of activism is using my body in a way like a lot of self-portraits now and things like that to show people that have bodies like mine that you can show up or not you can just exist I love it so uh I want to pot. You've had so many layers in your career, and I. That's what I'm saying. I love it, and I love that you have this passion for taking inspired action, which clearly is working for you. But I want to pause on photography and just get a little bit more insight of things that you've learned, trends that you've seen, um, possibly like some forecasting for where this industry is going, and also for anybody who's listening right now, especially at the time that we're recording this. Things are slowly coming back to life after COVID. Uh, we're getting back together again. We're, we'll be attending events again. We're just kind of getting back into normal life where photography, picture taking is 
a thing in life. It captures these amazing memories. What, what have you learned and what have you seen with people that you worked with that might be helpful for anybody who's like fucking freaked out to have their picture taken or just anything that you want to jam on with photography? Yeah, for sure. So I actually do a whole talk on six reasons you look like shit in photos because it has nothing to do with the photos and it has nothing to do with your body. It has everything to do with your mindset about how you're viewing yourself. So the biggest thing I always encourage people to do, and this is something I've learned after photographing, the thing was after seven, six years of doing this photography, I I photographed thousands of bodies essentially at this point in my career. And the thing is like, Every single person that has come to see me has been like, oh, I don't look good in photos or I can't take a good photo. And I'm like, okay, clearly there's something going on. If somebody who's a size zero thinks that they look like shit in photos and somebody who's a size 24 thinks that they look like shit in photos, then maybe it's not about your body at all. And maybe it has more to do with the mindset going into viewing photos of yourself and what you're expecting to see versus what you're actually seeing. And so the way I encourage people to think of it is Your brain has a representation of how you look based on a reflection, a mirrored image of yourself, if that makes sense. And the reality is, is the majority of us are not symmetrical, which is why if you go on TikTok, there's like the filter that'll flip your face and people are like, oh my God, that's how people see you. Like, it's not bad. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when our brain gets uncomfortable, that's the thing is your brain has a little bit of a hike in your cortisol probably because it's like well that's not me like that's not my representation of terry like oh we interpret that to mean with all the other bullshit that we've learned along the way that oh something must be wrong it's my fault my body looks terrible i knew it and it's like confirmation bias for the beliefs that are waiting to attack if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but the reality is is that stress that happens is just your brain being uncomfortable it literally is like oh this is new oh and the more you look at it the more comfortable it will become and teach your brain that you can look different in different scenarios but the problem is we don't do that we're just like, ugh, I never want to see it again. And then we never get our photos taken again, right? And so we're literally creating the behavior that creates the thought to begin with. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy um, that happens. And so I encourage people, when you look at a photo, if at first you're like, sit with it for a minute, take a break if you need, but come back to it. Take a look at the context, How did I feel when that photo was taken? Who was I with? And what were we doing? What, because photography doesn't owe you perfection. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. What kind of expectations are people putting on photography? Because the thing is, photography was invented to document a moment in time. And if in that moment of time, you maybe had a double chin, a belly roll, a back roll, your tongue's hanging out, your one eye is closed. That's literally just what you look like for that second. It's not good and it's not bad. It's just a fact. Mm -hmm. But we take that and we say, oh, here's the belief about it. And then we turn it into this thing. We're making it mean something that it doesn't. Does that make sense? And so we have to do the work of stepping back a little bit from it and just saying, what actually happened here? 
So I actually have a rule called the one sh one shot selfie. So if you take a photo with me, you literally get we only get one because life is too short. I'm not wasting my precious seconds to get the perfect photo. That's just stupid. I've got things to do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I so there's so much value in everything that you just shared. I'm also a big fan and I'd love to hear your professional opinion about this, too, to really set some boundaries around looking at photos too. Like if you are not in the best place emotionally, or you just are in an event where there's a possibility that the image that you see could potentially impact the way that you show up in the rest of the event to snap the picture, look at it the next day or the next week, just whenever you're at the place where like you're saying, you can actually habituate it a little bit more. It sounds like. Well, I think, I think the other thing to keep in mind too is what's happening is if people take a picture at an event, let's say, think about what I had said right at the beginning, well, kind of at the beginning because I talk a lot, but at the beginning I said, when I go into events that I'm not comfortable in, my usual default behavior is to make fun of myself, mm. right? So people go to these events, they're already probably feeling slightly insecure, slightly uncomfortable for the most part. So their stress is up. When your stress levels are up, your defenses for, for the self-talk are down, which means the worst, your brain is on the lookout for negativity. It is, it's looking for risk. It's looking for everything. So knowing, yeah, don't look at a photo of yourself if you know that you're slightly stressed out because your brain is going to look for every single thing that's wrong with it. And I'm going to put that in quotes because there isn't anything wrong with it. That's just what you look like, but you're going to make it mean something worse than it actually is. And I actually have a perfect example of this for myself. One day I was feeling like shit about my business and I was just like, eh, just like not good in a good space in my mind. And I was like, I'm going to take some self portraits, which maybe I wouldn't recommend to everyone on a day that you feel sad about yourself, but, but I did it. I was like, you know, I'm just going to do it anyways. I was frustrated. I was trying to do it. And I took a photo and I was like, oh, these are disgusting. Literally were the words, but I kept them and I shuffled them away into a folder. And then like two weeks went by and like life changed, obviously everything's temporary. So then I was in a relatively neutral or positive state and somebody's like, Hey, I need a headshot of you, or I need a photo of you for something. So I went to a folder where I had dumped those pictures and I remember coming across one. I'm like, Oh my God, look how cute my tummy is. I was like, these were cute. Where, like, why didn't I see these before? And that's when I realized the photo hadn't changed my mind did. And that's when I realized the impact of what you want, what you are telling yourself you'll see is exactly what you're going to see. Mm. And so I set that expectation with my clients now before they see their photos. I'm like, if you come in here and your mind is like, oh, I'm going to look like shit. Oh, my stomach's going to look gross. Uh, yeah, it will. It doesn't matter how good of photos I take. If you are dead set on seeing that, that's exactly what you're going to see. And so that's where I put the responsibility back on my clients. I'm like, I can only do so much. Like at some point you have to take responsibility for what you're making this mean. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a question that's just popped into my mind, but what's your opinion about almost like the psychology of photography as it relates to um, genetics and body image. So for example, I hear this a lot with clients and I've experienced this myself too, but 
growing up and this is hypothetical, but let's just say growing up and possibly having some type of tumultuous relationship with your grandma, but you have your grandma's nose. And every time you look at a picture of yourself, you see your grandma in the picture because all you can do is fixate on your nose, which is equates to your grandma. And so it kind of spirals into this uh, space of negativity. And that's all that you can really appreciate in the picture. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. That's the other thing I tell clients every time, like before they see their photos, I'm like over the last 25 plus years, you've taught yourself, you've conditioned yourself that when you see a photo of yourself to hyper-focus on the part of yourself that you are the most insecure or fearful of. And when that happens, again, you miss the context of the photo. You're so busy looking to make sure that part of yourself either measures up to current beauty standards or confirms your fears about how you don't measure up to beauty standards or confirms your fears about how, you know, oh, I'm going to see my grandma in this photo. Again, if you're saying that, you will because you're looking for it. But if you say, no, this is what I look like. That is my nose because it is on my face. That is my nose. Yeah. It has nothing to do with her. She is not here. Well, she might be in the photo, but like cut her out. I don't know. But, uh, (laughs) But like- I think this it goes back to the thing my mom said, you have a choice. The thing is we forget as adults that we have a choice in the things we think and the actions we take. So when people look at a photo of my body, they're like, oh my God, body's beautiful. Okay, now I want you to say that to yourself. And they're like, oh, I, no, I don't believe it. But you chose to believe it about me because here's the thing. There's a lot of people out there that choose not to believe it about my body. (laughs) And so just as you have free will and choice to choose that about me, you can choose it about yourself, but you're not choosing it. You're going with default behavior. And so catch yourself saying the thing and then ask yourself, is this helping me be the person I want to be? Is this benefiting my body image? Like, does this make me like myself more? If the answer is no, stop doing it. Yeah, totally. Well, from what you're sharing right here too, there's so much to unpack in a culture that basically says, don't pump yourself up too much. Don't boast, don't brag, don't love yourself too much. Don't, you know, all of these things when the reality is we, we should be in this space where we can appreciate our bodies and what they can do. If you're not at that place where it's love, that's totally fine. But even just saying, I'm awesome. I'm great. I'm, I'm fill in the blank with a value or a quality that you have or something that you like about yourself, something that you can genuinely express that for. We should be doing more of that, especially as women in this culture. Well, and that's the thing I always tell people, like if you research uh, like negativity bias, again, I have a whole talk about that, but like our brain is hardwired for negativity. Some people more than others. And so what happens is either you'll learn to seek a validation from other people, which is usually easier because then if they don't make you feel good, then you can blame them. It's not about you. Right. But the reality is if we keep letting other people, like we're like, no, that, that person I'm with isn't making me happy or that person's making fun of me or that person's not telling me I'm beautiful. It's like, are you doing those things? Like, are you telling yourself you're beautiful? Are you telling yourself you're a piece of shit? Like, what part do you play? Because you can't 
they have to worry about their own body image. Like they also are not responsible for filling up your cup. So I always encourage people like every day, you need to be filling up your own cup, whether it be through gratitude practices, writing in a journal, just like self high five. I do that to myself all the time. And just being like, you're cute. Like you're okay today, you know? And just like having those conversations with yourself because yeah, it's easier to expect other people to, but if you're taking the praise from other people, you're going to take the criticism from other people. But if your cup is constantly full because you're choosing to fill up your cup, the next time somebody comes along and says, you're a piece of shit, it's just going to bounce out of your cup because there's no room left. And you're like, okay. And then there's more room for empathy towards that person to be like, oh, how sad your life must be, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of taking it personally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes back to the concept of you being in a relationship with yourself and that being the most important relationship that we have in our lives. So I love, love everything that you just said. What's after photography? Because like we already established, you have many chapters in your career index and they all are starting to weave together at the same time too. So when did you decide to pivot into the work that you're doing now? And I know you still do photography, but what was that like for you? Yeah. So it was actually not too long into my boudoir career, to be honest, about six months in, I was, cause I was, you know, I was new at it. So I didn't know what the hell I was doing really. So I was looking to Pinterest and other boudoir photographers that came before me and it was just, it was okay, like to, technically, but, but I always felt a disconnect with it because it was very much from the male gaze and very much about objectifying women and making them a product like put on this sports jersey and I'm like well do you even play sports and they're like no I'm like then why the fuck are you wearing this like it just didn't make sense in my head what why that would that's not how I wanted to run my business if people like to do that you can do that but I'm just saying that's not for me um and so yeah, I just realized I wanted to do something different with the work that I was doing, but there wasn't really anyone doing it that way at that time. Um, so I started to spend time doing projects. Like that's how I gain my data. Essentially, this is how I do my science projects. It's easier to get people weirdly enough to come in for a photo shoot so I could talk to them about eating disorders or talk to them about what it means to be a woman over 40 or what it means to like I was able to gain information by having these little projects I was doing and then from that and it was a and then there was an experience with a few clients of like two percent of clients where a photo shoot wasn't enough I was like, like they, it didn't matter. They were like, yeah, I guess I look okay, but they still hated themselves. So I was like, well, that's not okay with me. (laughs) So I'm like, there's gotta be more to this than, than what, what is on the surface. So that's when I started to look into the psychology of body image, like doing a lot of self-study. Um, and I created body image bootcamp for my clients first. So I ran it here in Winnipeg and it was just like, uh, I think at that time it was like a six or eight week course where once a week we'd get together and it was to walk people through where their body image began uh, and then how they're perpetuating it and then how to move forward from it kind of thing. And then about two years after running it here, I then started offering it to photographers because I knew I wanted to like, I, I wanted to be able to teach it a lot, but as one person, I can only do so much. So I was like, well, what if I taught other photographers how to do it? And then they can go and do it for their clients. And then it's like an exponential impact. 
impact, which is great for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, that kind of came out of that. And then I went back to school for positive psychology because I knew I wanted to learn more about how the brain works. And that's when I really understood that it has nothing, literally nothing to do with your body. If you, and I was a perfect example. I was worse off. I hated myself more at 150 pounds than I did at 250 pounds. Right. And so I was like, yeah, that couldn't be about the body then. Like there's no magical number you're going to get to where you're like, yeah, I do feel valued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's not how it works. And so understanding the psychology, the psychology aspect of mindset uh, is kind of what propelled me to write my book, The Geo Theory, um, Chipping Away at Body Image. So I was able to take all these concepts that usually are applied more to just like living more than anything and really like hone them down into what it means for body image. Um, And yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm at now, but I spend a lot of time educating other photographers and consulting other photographers on how to confront their own body image biases and mindset biases. So that way they're not impacting their clients in a negative way. Mm, I love that. It's so robust. So from a positive psychology aspect and from a mindset aspect with that, I know you've kind of woven in some of the research and the language in your story so far, but just from a pure body image standpoint, whether it's related to photography or just you wake up one day and you're like, today is a horrible, bad body image day. For anybody who's listening, what would you share in terms of a positive psychology uh, viewpoint to perhaps turn that day around or just give somebody an idea of why that's happening? Yeah. So I think, I think the biggest thing and the best tool that you can have, regardless if it has to do with body image or not, understand that body image is why it's the geo theory. Body image is at the very top surface. Like it's not your body. Like there's a lot, it's an iceberg. There's so much stuff going on underneath that belief, but your body is the tangible aspect of you. So it's easy to blame that thing for why you feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the so layers. The big, yeah, tons of layers, but the first thing you have to do before you can even chip away at those layers is literally just get curious, but you have to hear what you're saying first before you can dissect what you're saying. Oh, the activity I give people to do is to stand naked in front of the mirror and for two minutes set a timer. Cause it's longer than you think it is. And either record yourself talking exactly what's in your head, like no matter how vile and terrible the thoughts are, if you don't get them out, they're just swimming around waiting. But once you can get them out and say, oh, my stomach's disgusting or my stretch marks are ugly or, oh, I'm just uncomfortable in my body or whatever the thing is. Now you can do something. You can say, why do I feel like that? Like what, where did I learn that a big tummy is bad? Mm-hmm. Who taught me that? Is it helping? Like, who do I want to be? And is that thought helping me? Mm-hmm. What thought would help me better get to the goal that I want? Right. So curiosity is so important. It's such an important tool because it's not judgmental. This is why I don't like the body positive movement anymore. What it's turned into is because before people are like, oh, I hate my body. And now, and then they would just hate their body. That's, that's it. Now they're like, oh, I hate my body. (gasps) Oh no, I shouldn't be feeling bad about my body. So now it's like a double whammy of shame 
that now they're just like, now I feel super shitty about myself. And clearly that doesn't get you anywhere. But if you aim for body neutrality or body liberation, it's just saying like, you know what? I'm not a fan of the way I look today. And there's probably a lot of reasons contributing to that. I'm going to be compassionate with myself today. I'm going to wear clothes that make me feel comfortable. I'm going to not look in the mirror. I'm not going to take photos of myself. I'm not going to look for validation from other people. I'm going to drink a lot of water. I'm going to maybe have a nap because that helps a lot of the time. Uh, And I'm going to journal what I'm thinking. And then that's it. Mm. Basically. I love that. That's such a tidy little self-care toolkit. And also um, just being aware of the things that trigger the negative body image days as well too and really just acknowledging we're not touching this today we're not using this um and i love your acknowledgement of verbal processing or written processing just getting it out of your mind it's so important and um it just allows you to further question but if it stays in there then it's just attaching on to it's waiting it's going to wait until you're stressed out again and then the thought's going to bubble up to the surface again or next time you go bathing suit shopping and then it's going to come up to the surface because you're already stressed out before you've even put on the bathing suit um and there's like so many factors that contribute to the mindset piece to it um, that it's so important. But the other thing is once you have it written out, let's say you're like, oh, like my stretch marks are ugly. I get people to do the, what does that mean? Mm. Questions. Mm-hmm. And I say do that seven times. So you would say, oh, my stretch marks are ugly. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that I'm not attractive. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that means that people aren't going to like me. And what does that mean? And by doing that five to seven times, you'll get to the actual fear, the like animal brain part that's fearful, that's causing you to have these thoughts, which is usually I'm afraid to be alone. I'm afraid to be humiliated because then I'll be alone because it all leads to death back when we were cavemen. <laughs> Basically, totally. your animal brain is just afraid of something. But if you don't go give yourself the compassion and the time to get through that, you won't be able to kind of parent that part of yourself that is scared and terrified and fearful. And usually it's some little part of yourself that never had, never felt safe back in the day. And so you have to like, I call mine tiny Terry. So I'm like, tiny Terry, like, how would I treat a child right now? Like I wouldn't berate them for feeling this way. And so I would say, no, you're loved, you're safe, you're supported and you're okay. And so I just repeat that. I actually have it written like five different places around my house. I'm safe, I'm supported and I'm, I'm okay. Because that reminds tiny Terry that she's okay. And that calms that animal brain down. So the rational brain can come up and be like, see, you're making something mean something that it doesn't. Mm, so good, Terry. I love, I love that exercise and I just love everything that you're sharing before we wrap up today. I cannot wrap up this interview without getting your thoughts on social media, especially being a body image coach, a photographer running a business. And I also know that you do, um, digital detox retreats and workshops. So just go ahead, get on a soapbox, jam on your opinion of social media and its place, uh, its place in our culture right now. 
Yeah, so I think there's, a again, looking at the broader context of why we use social media is imperative. Um, because what will happen is if you don't recognize just like the body image, like when do I feel shit about my body? It's when do I go on social media? Like pay attention to that because the thing is you will recognize patterns. Rarely do we go on it to actually we go on it hoping to feel better about ourselves in some capacity, but more often than not, we end up leaving feeling less satisfied because it's not an actual, that goes back to filling up the cup. If you don't think that you are worthy enough, you're seeking validation from other people. Either you're looking to see who you could become and not appreciating who you are now, or you're looking at people and making fun of them to make yourself feel better, right? different types of comparison, or you're posting a photo and waiting for those likes to roll in to make you feel good, whether you're a photographer or not, or a business person, like it doesn't matter. Whatever you post, you're hoping for engagement because that'll make you feel less alone. But then what happens is, so you get the little dopamine hit, you know, you're like, yeah, I did it. Yay. People are going to like it. And then nobody likes it. What happens? Well, now you feel sad and then we want to distract ourselves again. So then we go back and try to do it again. And then the same thing happens because we're, when we do have those moments where like maybe we get hundreds of likes on something or lots of comments or whatever, it goes viral. We're like, oh my God, people like me. Again, that's the heart of it. Your animal brain is like, we're never going to be alone. This is fantastic. We're super safe until... You post the next thing and you get crickets. And now your animal brain's like, wait, wait, what? Everything we had just went away, which isn't true, but that's what your brain thinks. So you have to be cognizant enough and think critically enough to know why am I posting this thing? What outcome am I hoping for by posting this thing? And what happens if I don't get that outcome? How will I feel? Uh, but the thing is, nobody thinks about that stuff because it's social media. It's like in the palm of our hand. And we're just like, yeah, this feels good right now. Yeah. And it literally is like drinking seven cups of coffee or, uh, you know, eating lots of sugary food or uh, whatever the thing is that you like to shopping was my thing for a while, like buying clothes when I was bored because I'm like boredom. It means I'm alone, which means I'm lonely, which means I want to distract from this feeling of acknowledging that I'm lonely. And so then I'll go spend money instead because I get the dopamine hit when I like buy the thing. And then when it shows up, I feel super guilty and bad. And then guess what? I feel bad. So guess what I want to do? Distract myself from feeling bad. So I go back and I do it all over again. And so we have to manage our emotions. Mm -hmm. we, we have to stop relying on social media and other people to manage and regulate our emotions for us. If we can do that, then it doesn't hold power over us. But we have to recognize that it's happening in the first place. So I actually last week just gave like my, I have a community on Facebook for photographers and I gave them the challenge. I'm like, just pay attention to your social media usage and just like, keep an eye on it. Like, why are you going on there? What are you hoping for? And just like question it and see what happens. And, uh, and it's fascinating to watch. Cause I did it for myself too. And I was like, Oh yeah, I definitely did go on there just cause I was bored. I definitely did go on there. And I got sad when somebody didn't like my thing or left a comment that was negative social media, literally they're not dumb. The people that make social media, no, they know psychology. 
for sure. They know how to hook you. They know how to feed into the negativity bias. They know how to feed into your confirmation bias to say, oh, see what I know to be true is true. And they know how to show you things that are going to make you feel like shit. So that way you'll buy more things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I totally agree. I've had so... I've had so much dissonance around social media this past year, especially as a business owner and a body image coach myself, um, just, and personally why I use it. I'm not a big social media person in general. I, I, I know I'm kind of out of the norm, but I don't go on it just to pass time. Um, I never, I never really have, but at the same time, I understand the marketing tool and the power of building communities that are really awesome and crowding out all of the diet culture bullshit by posting incredible content that's educational and supportive for anybody who um, is interested in that. But it's, yeah, there's just, there's, there's so many, I know it's not clear cut. I know it's not black or white, but there's so many emotions that come up. That's where if you can, yeah, if you can lean into the power piece of it, I think that would be the advice that I give people because it's very easy to want to engage in somebody on somebody else's platform. Mm -hmm. So somebody posts something that you disagree with, we'll say, right? And then her in her comments on her platform how I feel that what she posted is bad so I'm going to write down the comments and then that like riles you up and then you're like then it's just like a debate that never wins nobody wins in an internet debate just understand go into it that expectation right so what I encourage people to do if you disagree with what somebody has written and you're so like riled up and you're like people need to know the opposite use your platform to do that. Mm-hmm. Don't go to their platform because their platform is usually followers that believe what they believe. And so you're just going to get roasted and it's going to make you feel like shit and like disempowered and lacking in confidence and just not great. But if you go to your platform where people are already kind of buying into the idea that diet culture is bullshit or things like that and you're like hey i saw this meme floating around and this is how it made me feel and here's why i don't like it then you're gonna you're gonna have people that agree and if there are people that don't agree then you simply comment back be like hey the amount of time it took you to write this here you could have used your own platform (laughs) and like that has been one of the best self-regulation tools for myself because I used to feel like oh no I have to let them know that what they posted is bad and wrong and it's like wait a minute they have a platform and I have a platform so I won't go to them I'll just talk about it on my platform I love it I'm um I'm writing down self-regulation because I feel like it's the theme that keeps coming up in your story and just who you are as a person and your values and what you are contributing to this world, self-regulation, self-awareness, mm-hmm. all these things. It's so powerful. And it's, you know, it's one of those concepts that I think we hear a lot, but we don't really understand it at the same time. And so yeah. I just appreciate you showing up and sharing your own personal experience around what this means for you and also your professional expertise around how others can take this and apply it in their own lives. So I'm just like, yeah, the biggest thing is I just want people to be like, you want less stress because more stress makes bad body image. So less stress will help you have a better body image. So let's reduce your stress by not engaging with people that don't want to be engaged with 
Totally. Totally. Less stress in so many other ways. We could do a whole other podcast episode on stress reduction techniques and also how it impacts body image, just like you said. Um, Terry, you are incredible. Please, where can everybody find you, follow you, engage with you, become a part of your community? all the things. Sure. Uh, yeah. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's probably the most popular at the moment. So just uh, Instagram.com forward slash Terry Hofford with one R and an I and H-O-F-F-O-R-D. People spell it wrong sometimes. Um, uh, if you are a photographer, I do have a community on Facebook called, well, it's called Everybody's Education, but as of July, it's switching to a new group called Beyond the Body um, Mindset and um, Body Image for Photographers. So feel free to come join that if you want to learn more about your what responsibility you play. I'm big on personal responsibility in case you can't tell. Love that aspect of you. And- Yeah. And if you want to get a copy of my book, which I won't say no to, you can find that on my website at terryhoffer.com forward slash the hyphen geode hyphen theory. Cool. We'll link everything in the show notes too, to keep it super easy for everyone. But thank you so much. I love this conversation. I love the work that you're doing and just the person that you are. Can't wait to just keep this friendship going as well too. And thank you for having me. I love interviews. Yeah. (laughs) You're awesome. I'll talk soon. Bye. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Stephanie Olea, our show manager, Shayla Anderson, and our incredible guest. If you want to stay connected and learn more about our guest today, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend or leave a review so that we can continue to destigmatize these important conversations around our relationship with food and body and spread inspiration to more women. One last thing, please don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of each new episode every week. I'm sending you so much love, confidence, and strength. Talk to you soon.